Greetings, salutations, and welcome. We are into the 90s here at the Potter Blokes. What does that mean? I'm nervous. Oh, <laughs> the nervous <laughs> margins, yeah. That's whew, straight over my head there. Yes, into another decade. I was uh, just starting pre primary this year. <laughs> Nate? Yeah, well, yeah, were, were you just yeah, four years yeah, old? Yeah, there I, was, uh, I was well and truly entrenched in high school at the stage. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into that. Uh, yeah, we won't ask how many times you had to repeat a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't say that. No. Um, so, what's been happening? A, a non iPod for Hell episode. They're yeah, becoming we rarer had... than hen's teeth. Yeah, they're of becoming late. less and less frequent, you could say. Mm. I mean, there's been a lot. We've had Essendon get bounced by water and then try and rebounce water and then troll water all at the same time. Uh, we've had Chris Gale cause some kind of uproar mm. by just trying to get a date with... Uh, yeah. with Moral a, outrage. Yeah. <laughs> we've, had, uh, we've had Dustin Martin try and stab somebody with a chopstick. No we've outrage. Had, um, <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. We've had uh, Dane Swan and Travis Quake amongst other said dick pics and then pictures of their dicks. Actually, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was listening to an app the other day where you referred to uh, Nick Revolt as... Uh, in fact, you were talking about Jake Carlisle having to go in front of... Um, yes. I believe you called him Captain Dick Pick, it might have been at the time. Oh, yeah, well... Yeah. Um, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of this. Oh, well, Denver won a Super Bowl. Yeah. We talked about it. Let me rephrase that. Denver <laughs> stole a Super Bowl. For, for, <laughs> comparison, for comparison for Dan, Denver winning that game was Hawthorne 2008. It's a game that they had no right to win when you looked at it from a head-to-head context, but perfect planning, perfect game plan on the day. Oh. Every, Defense playing absolutely out of their skin. Yeah, that was pretty much the key takeout that I heard from the yeah. game was and, um, basically yeah. the, the defense just well. Apparently, they the Broncos actually broke some sort of record for the most consecutive third downs without completion or Correct. something like that. So I think we were one we were one for fifteen on the day, including <laughs> tw- we missed twelve in a row, which yeah. is a record. So thank fuck the defense yeah. well, that's for, right. well, uh, on the ball. Our, our offense didn't crack 200 yards, which is is to win a game with that is just it's bizarre. But that's that's how good the defense it was, was. Enough, yeah, yeah. yeah the the def- well the defense scored a touchdown, forced a turnover inside our own 10, which led to our second touchdown, the only touchdown the offense scored. We had um, the highest punt return. In the history of Super Bowl as well, which Jeez. led to, which led to us getting the the mini break that we were able to sustain pretty much mm. throughout the game, um, is that yeah? I mean, it, it was really weird. Carolina just didn't show up. There's no nice way to put it, mm. and uh, we we did just enough to win. Manning did just enough to win without really playing at his best. And this, one's, hope, this one's for Pat. Yeah, this one's for Pat. I think. Uh, this email, you probably don't... The context of that, um, when Denver won their first Super Bowl, 90, I think it was 97, mm. might have been 98, yeah. 97, no, 98, 97. I think, were the two. Yeah. We went back-to-back, and John Elway was well and truly at the Peyton Manning stage of his career at that point. It was just really hanging on, hanging on, hanging on, and they'd finally put a team around him that had a chance to win. And uh, two-touchdown underdog in that game against Green Bay... 
Whether or not I actually thought they were a chance against Green Day, I thought they were absolutely no Green, chance. Green Day. Green Day, Green Bay. <laughs> yeah, when... Yeah, Come on, Jeez, yeah. don't be an American idiot. Yeah, thank you. But um, when uh, the, the, the trophy was handed over to Pat Bowen, who at that stage was the owner... Um, he only said four words. He said, this one's for John, and handed the trophy to John Elway. Unfortunately, um, Pat's very, very sick at the moment. They're, mm. they're thinking that he might not see the year out. It's that yeah. bad. He's been... Um, he bought the team in the mid-'80s when they were a bit of a rabble, and he, he got them to where they are now. And uh, John Elway, now the general manager of the Denver Broncos, mm. responsible for putting this team together. I just loved... He's the guy who receives a trophy, gets up and says... I know he'd hate me saying this, but this one's for Pat. Uh, yeah. It was, out of all of the things that had happened on the day, that was probably the most, for me, that was probably the most touching thing. The juxtaposition of the first and the most recent. Coming full circle with Going yeah. full circle with them. And look, Elway was a great quarterback, and he's actually proven to be one of these guys who's uh, actually become a pretty decent general manager over the last few years as well. The team is well and truly the team that he's built at this point in time mm. so and I mean sacking coach Fox a which couple of years a ball- ago which was well, a, yeah, last year a bit, which oh, was last a, year yeah. last year yeah. which was a ballsy call brought in Wade Phillips who was his former coach about 20-25 years ago who didn't have a job last year brought him in as a defensive coordinator and he he did an exceptional job their defence this year it was the number one defence this year so Probably not that surprising. The record of the number one defences in Super Bowls is generally very strong when playing the number one offence, which Carolina mm. was. So it's all these things that you're sitting there saying, well, all the numbers and all the things suggest that you shouldn't have been surprised. But if you've seen Carolina this year and you'd seen Denver this year, I mean, the biggest concern I had going into the game was, Dem- are Denver going to score enough points? Well, I remember you saying, probably with four or five weeks to go in the season, you were hoping that Peyton Manning wouldn't get picked yeah. <laughs> for, the rest well, I mean, of, for the rest of the season. And he looked cooked. Yeah. Even in the game, he looked cooked. I actually made a comment to someone yesterday. I was I was sitting watching the game halfway through the third quarter saying, get him out of there. He's going to cost us this game. Mm. Because he just couldn't make a he just couldn't make a play when we needed him to. And he actually turned the ball over at one critical stage in the game too. We were I, lucky that it only cost us three points. I got the feeling watching him celebrate the touchdown in the fourth quarter that that was um, I think this pretty much it. I think this is it. I think he knows it. If mm. it would, it's the perfect way for him to go out. He would be silly to go on. He'd be forty next year. Yeah. Do we do we want to talk about the HGH thing, which is a really interesting subplot to all of the Peyton Manning hysteria? Well, I mean. What was it, Al Jazeera? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think originally he managed to shut Jordan, down Al Jazeera yeah. in America, where he, he he basically said to him, "Well, I'm not going to see you, but you are going to shut down." <laughs> but shut it down. <laughs> it's very interesting because these stories, you the bullshit detective generally goes off quite strong in a lot of instances. I think with with Tom Brady, there was you certainly had question marks about. Some of the things that that he said with regards to the deflate gate thing, but mm. the thing about Manning that came across to me, when he's talked about this, he's actually been incredibly specific. Yeah, is that it came to my wife. My wife was having any treat, was having some special treatments. That's between her and her doctor. Mm. 
That's why I'm so not. There's none of this. I don't know well, what I took. We well, don't know what the no, substances yeah, were right. and all that. Is that he? He's because the whole thing was packages of HGH were sent to Manning's house to his wife. Mm. He hasn't denied that. Yeah. But he's also been he's also been very very specific. When, when questioned about that and also he, I mean he got on the front foot straight away well I believe correct me if I'm wrong but the guy who originally um, made the claim later withdrew it yes but by that stage it was he it said, was too late well, the he whole thing was said he was, he was he, very much like the Stephen Dank situation he was basically bragging trying to get clients and yeah dropping Peyton Manning's name amongst other names there's lots of other big big ticket names that have been mentioned in here, but the one that always gets the the traffic is Peyton Manning. Mm. So it's yeah. a, it's an interesting one. Yeah, look, these days you find it hard to be surprised by anything, but he doesn't strike me as the type of guy that would take HGH. Mm. Yeah, but at the same time, he was coming back from a, a devastating neck surgery. So you. You can never really tell no, with these sorts of things. You just no. sort of take it on good faith a lot of time. But, yeah. I mean, the way that, yeah, the sort of very sketchy evidence on which that whole thing was then... Yeah. And I could sort of understand it when it comes to drugs in sport. Like, you have to sort of go whole hog unless you happen to be the AFL. Yeah. You know... If, if yeah, that, where, well, that's actually a perfect way find, of putting it. If where you, you find the biggest uh, rug you possibly can, just yeah, sweep it under, and just leave Ahmad, uh, Ahmed Saad sitting outside on you know yeah. on his own in the cold. But that's actually a really good example. If you compare this sort of potential overreaction, if the if the alternative is, I guess this sort of nothing to see here, um, yeah. you, you know, trying to downplay everything, I'd I'd probably prefer that they. Um, yeah, so I, I, I agree. Portion. I think you keep this type of stuff you, you take very seriously and you, you deal with it in a very serious manner. And I think that that's the most disappointing thing about the Essendon situation is is that you kind of feel that they haven't... The governing body just hasn't bothered to take it seriously. Oh, and not only that, but it's it's never been about... No. stamping out the drugs in sport it's, it's been, been more about their commercial interests and well how yeah. will this impact our TV rights deal and all these other things rather than it yeah. just being hey if they've taken illegal substances they get two year bans well much like the, the Shane Warne story this week it's, it's that the Essendon situation with regards to the AFL has been all about spin and uh, yeah. or bullshit yeah, yeah it's <laughs> Hey, look, I'm really disappointed that they're challenging it. It's just, look, everybody knows you've done it. You've, to be honest, you've been very lucky to get a 12-month ban, considering that you, you know, they they basically, yeah, played the dog ate my homework card the whole way through here. And to be perfectly honest, I do have some sympathy for the players because, as as a lot of people have come out and said. If you're an 18-year-old who's just been recruited by his first club, you've been yeah. asked to move into state away from your family for the first time, and you get told by a club doctor that this is what you're required to take... I think I've said that on the record, that I, I, I feel a little bit for the younger players, but the older guys... Not only do I have no sympathy for the older players, I actually hold them a lot more accountable than people seem to be, because they know better. But for me, it's just still the frustration. It, it doesn't come back to herd. No. 
he managed to cry some crocodile tears in a press conference and then disappear disappear into the sunset. Like, none of it has actually stuck to him. Just just something I want to get on the record here, too. I'm sick and fucking tired of hearing Stephen Dank saying the players are innocent, I've got the information to prove it. Well, Steve, you've had three years to put that in front of somebody. Put up or shut the fuck up. I mean, it's just a question of where should the buck stop? And it's it's the coach. It's the coach. It's the coach. Well, he's the guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even if it was the doctor, well, who's in charge of you know organising and um, deciding what supplements? Well, I, I did find take. it very interesting that over a three-year span, he went from taking full responsibility to taking no responsibility. <laughs> I take full responsibility for this. He said that in the initial press conference, and then all of a sudden now it's like, well, I'm not to blame. It just right, well, sickens me. I'm, I'm yeah. in a way, I'm, I'm really just still waiting for his uppance to come, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like the way the players sort of, you know, three years later now are suddenly being hit with with these penalties and that. When's it going to finally come back to him? Oh. Oh, it's so incredibly frustrating. Well, I mean, the it, a- at the same time, the AFL should have they hold taken a hardline stance on that as well. Hey, you brought this on to yeah. us. You're banned for life, buddy. Yeah. And the most disappointing thing for me is that it seems... The impression that I get is that they're not willing to besmirch the his golden boy reputation. And because he had such a great playing career and all these other things, it's almost like, well, because of that... We're not actually going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. And this is why the Joe Watson situation is very, very interesting. It's going to be very, very interesting to see the spin that they put on this. Of course, now with the appeal, that that decision will probably be delayed Mm. again. But there's there's an interesting can of worms that you open up there because if you're saying that you're getting rid of Watson, Watson has to lose his brown load because he took drugs... Hmm. Sounds reasonable enough. Yeah, but I'm saying is this a, how do you deal with like the Ben Cousins situation? How do you deal? You know, I mean, if if there's and there's probably other guys who we won't you know we won't name names, but you you have pretty strong strong suspicions that let's just say that we don't think that they're they're necessarily their noses are clean. Oh, well put. Their noses the words out yeah. of our mouth, and yeah, they're a bit on the nose. Yeah. You do it. You've got to be very, very careful about opening up a can of worms. It's very similar to the, I guess, the discussion I have around the Baseball Hall of Fame and the steroid era in Baseball mm. Hall of Fame, where at the moment, but the Baseball Hall of Fame stance on this is, is no, no, none of those guys are getting in. Basically, we're drawing a hard line, mm. and it's basically just thumbing your nose at history. Yeah, that this is. If your if your Hall of Fame museum is about the history of the game, this is something that happened within the game, <laughs> and to to deny guys who have tremendous records because of these things from getting in there is it's it's mystifying. Is that there's nothing wrong with putting them in the Hall of Fame, putting the the most the biggest asterisk you could possibly find, Mark Echo style, mm. and sorry, I'll talk about Mark Echo in a sec. And saying these guys took steroids or yeah. were believed to take steroids. It reminds me a lot of um, a Family Guy episode where, where Brian and Stewie are holidaying in Germany. 
and Brian sort of asks the tour guide, hey, I'm noticing like a, a big gap in your German history here between 1939 and 1945. Yeah. Everyone was on vacation! <laughs> yeah, it's similar to that. And, I mean, the, the Mark Kiko story was Barry, Bo- uh, Barry Bonds broke the home run record mm-hmm. um, and Barry Bonds was one person who they've never actually proven to have taken steroids but was involved in Balco scandal and a lot of the people who were involved in Balco were taking steroids, Marion Jones and her husband at the time being part of that Um, Mark Hicko bought his home run ball and put up a poll online basically to say what should be done with it and uh, the the winner was an asterisk should be I, I can't remember if it won but one of them was an asterisk should be put on it and sent to the Hall of Fame one of the other ones was that it, it to to be put in a glass case and shot to the moon. <laughs> so all these things like this, uh, he was just basically thumbs, thumbing his nose mm. at, at the whole thing. I, I believe the asterisk was the one that won, but um, yeah. I mean, it does become very difficult because I mean, as you say, like it or not, and whatever situations scenarios may have being involved. Joe Watson is a Brownlow medalist. Barry Bonds yeah. is the home run record holder. You know, yeah. a lot of these... Lance Armstrong was first well, across exactly. the line yeah. in seven Tour de France. Yeah. I mean... And there's a, oh, well, I mean, there's heaps of uh, gold medalists who yeah, lost their medals. If you said to me Joe Watson could keep his Brownlow but there would be an asterisk next to his name which said was suspected, well, was was found guilty of performance-enhancing drugs for this particular season. You know what? I'd actually be fine with that. But this is what it all comes back to, to me, is that for all the shit and scorn and just general disdain that gets heaped upon the AFL, this pretty much, this whole situation... sequence of events just validated all of it and then oh. some it is a fucking joke oh, I, I think Andrew Bogart said his Siberian Huskies could have managed this process better yeah I mean you, you cannot you cannot sit there and tell me that any pretty much any other sporting organisation national sporting organisation anywhere in the world would allow this sort of shit to go on. Well, as, as I read somewhere, and I think it's a good way of describing it, the AFL's good about making... The only thing the AFL's good at is making money. It's not good at running a professional competition. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. Nathan, in the, in the corner, he's joining us. <laughs> yeah, uh, good input, Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> you, we haven't had your take on this whole... Oh, no, I mean, I'm with you guys. I obviously don't know as much about it as you guys do, so that's fine. So I'll let you guys take the reins. <laughs> But, I mean, no. It so starts by stroking our egos. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I know how to do this there, podcast. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You're welcome any time. Pretty much anything you say after and, that is And that's all, that's all I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that point. <laughs> we are awesome. <laughs> no, but, I mean... No, you guys raised perfectly the points. I mean, the, the fact, like you say, that they've just kind of slipped it under the rug, kind of pretending it's not happening, you know, you can't shy away from it. And, you know, even the AFL as a whole need to just accept Accepted and and that's the thing when you talk about bringing the game into disrepute. If they had just taken their medicine to like three years ago, yeah, vitamins. (laughs) If they had just done it three years ago, then yeah, Yeah. there would have been some short-term pain, but it would have been over, done, dusted, and you could try and I guess well come out the other side. By now, it'd probably all be over, right? And we'd be oh well, be well and truly over. Absolutely, yeah. I mean. 
I always use the analogy of going back to the story of Andy Pettit. Um, when the Mitchell Report first came out, Andy Pettit was one of the 60 names that came out. He just basically got straight on the front foot and said, yep, I did it. Mm. I, I did it. I'll, I'll accept my bed. People talk about Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, yeah. Rafael Pomero, all the guys that denied it who who either denied it outright or were questionable in their way that they were kind of answering questions. There's a stench of horse yeah. crap around yeah. everything they say. That's right. <laughs> Nobody talks about Andy Pettit. And the reason is, is it's like, yeah, I did it, I'm owning it. And I think that that's the thing. Okay. Crisis management 101, I mean, <laughs> the way that Essendon have managed this from day one has been deplorable, let's be honest. But crisis management 101 is only mistakes. Mm. Get, out, get out in front of the... Get out in front of it. And no, AFL, that doesn't mean control the message and yeah. get your spin doctors to work on it. You know, get out in front with the uh, particular slant on yeah. it that you're and wanting I mean, to promote. Like, Essendon attacking the AFL is just ridiculous mm-hmm. because the AFL's done everything possible to protect Essendon here. Yeah. yeah. I would actually say that, you know, I would probably criticise the AFL on that. I mean, you know, oh, for, well, for someone doing yeah. something like that, you know, I mean, the AFL should be coming down like a to me, I think really, and they pretty and much just let them do whatever. And it's because they wanted to it. be in charge of it. That was the whole problem the right from the start. If you're one of the other seventeen teams, you should be pissed off at that too. Yeah, it's exactly. like, hey, you're letting this team play on an uneven playing field. Yeah, well, hey, we'll go take performance enhancing hmm. or whatever as well. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. to me, I think the it's whole thing started with the. Much disputed, but, you know, hand on heart, I think we all are fairly certain it's true. The phone call from yeah. Andrew Demetrio to Essendon the day before the story was going to break, oh, giving them the heads up. Like, yeah, get those shredders. I, I mean, this is the thing. is that the, You can't tell me that, and I've, I'm sure I've said this before, but these clubs use GPS monitors to monitor within yeah, exactly. like within five metres yeah. of what these guys are doing on their bodies. You can't tell me that they're going to have such a, uh, I guess, a, a heavily documented um, program to for these guys to work on and then not document any of this stuff. Where yeah. to, how are you meant to know what's worked and what hasn't? Yeah, I mean, these days, if a player has an extra potato with their dinner, they have to inform their dietician and, yeah. you know, all these other backroom and stuff it's like just that. Stuff like <laughs> that. It's just the whole way through is that I always talk about Occam's razor. Mm. And it's like stuff like that, the bullshit detector goes like, yeah. it goes off big yeah. time. Really? Really? You're not doing that? No, I don't mm. buy that for a second. You had those documents. Yeah. They. they Put and you the, in a very, very unfavourable light. So and it just you shows decided, I'll cop the work cover fine and I will shred the shit out of all of them. Mm. But it just shows the problem right from the start was that the AFL wanted to be... This is my biggest problem yeah. with the AFL is that with a lot of other sporting codes and you know right. other organisations, when it comes to this sort of thing, there's an external um, adjudicator who says, this is what's happening, this is what we've found, here's how it goes from here. The AFL don't allow that. Yeah. Well, the Everything com- has to be done regards- according to the AFL's own agenda. That's exactly right. Well, with regards to this, this matter, I mean, the, the AFL's compromised. Mm. 
it's it's not an impartial body. And yeah. yeah. The other question I'd like to bring up is, you know, would say if it happened to West Coast yeah. or Fremantle, would they have been treated the same way? Oh, I already the answer's no. Discussion before. Hell no. I mean, West Coast had the threat, exactly. this vague threat of um, premiership point um, deductions hanging over their head for the better part of a season. Mm. Essentially, they were forced to have a shit season and let everyone see how embarrassingly shit they well, were uh, before the AFL was willing to let them move on. It wasn't just that. It's just that they were also, in many respects, forced to make decisions that they didn't really want to make. They had players that were still quite useful for them that they pretty much got rid of because of the off-field mm. situations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which... Fair enough, if that's the case. But then let's see the other seventeen clubs go to that same standard. That's that's exactly right. There's a certain clock that wears black and white that seems to uh, to get a charmed run with things like this. Yeah, let's not even Port Adelaide. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows what's under those tarps, mate? Yeah, it's. It's, fr- it's frustrating. I was when they when the water came down and gave them the twelve month ban. I was like, "Thank fuck, this mess is finally over." But no. But no. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Uh. The fact that water even had to get involved in the first place is pretty tragic, isn't it? Yeah. Like, well, that's the thing. It's, it's because the AFL yeah, just exactly. had their fingers in everything that no one could actually take the, and the thing process that, I guess, seriously. You know, the, the AFL refused to take it seriously, but they're so dependent on WADA for government grant. Like to get mm. government funding, they have to be WADA compliant. I'm sorry, I think they took it very seriously. They took it so seriously that they decided, oh shit, we can't let this happen. <laughs> We've got to come up with a workaround here. Yeah, no, that's right. It's the... Yes. Uh, you kind of wonder what would have happened if, Dave, if James Heard hadn't thrown David Evans under the bus, though. Or if pretty much a non-former golden boy mm. had been in charge at the time. Yeah, although too, or even if Hurt stood down as coach. There's a lot of... Or if anything happens besides of, yeah. what actually happened. There's or a lot of what if. I just ran well, up there, to him, there, punched there, him in the dick. <laughs> well, the, 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 story, <laughs> the story was that like the days before Evans was fired, apparently he'd broken a deal with the, the AFL, the, the Essendon place, would get, a, would get a six-month ban and that Hurt would be gone as coach. And Heard called Windover, didn't like it, and off the table. And Evans out of the build, out of the mm. building. Uh, there will now be a brief pause for GJ to take this phone call. I'm not picking it up. We're going to ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record, this is the Microsoft engineers ringing you up, telling you that there's a problem with your internet access. Oh no! Which, yeah. Hadn't you better take that call then? No, no. <laughs> yeah, be it on your head. Yeah, no. Yeah, and and you know, for for a price, they're willing to log into my computer and install lots and lots of viruses oh, on it. Oh, how could yes. you go wrong with a deal like that? But that's yeah, right. I think I'll pass. All they need is a two hundred thousand dollar deposit. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. In this in this if market, you, if, you, if you dig down in that couch, Nate, you might find it. Um, when the deposed prince of Nigeria contacts you directly asking you for help, you don't say no. So, so um, I guess shall we 
Let's can go I, back to on-field matters. Can I, can I, talk, can I, I just want I just want to quickly talk about. Uh, we've talked about this social commentator, social media crusader thing. I just want to touch on. I know it's old news now, but I do want to touch on this whole Chris Gale, Mel McLaughlin thing. As far as I'm concerned, there's only one person who had the right to be annoyed about what Chris Gale said to Mel McLaughlin, and that was Mel McLaughlin. All these feminazis that popped up out of the, uh, well, out of wherever the hell feminazis pop up out of, like, seriously, man, get over it. Get over it. Now, look, I'm not going to say that what Chris Gale said was right. I think he was having fun the first time when it was blatantly obvious that Mel McLaughlin was not happy. Mm. He should have cut it off right there. He didn't. So he deserves some criticism for that. But but the bow being drawn the complete other way is is that, you know, that this is sexual harassment in the workplace. All of these other things like that. Like, seriously, man. Seriously. You're setting an incredibly, incredibly difficult position that there is no way you can possibly live up to. And it's made even worse when you'll talk about shit like that. Channel 10 posts a tweet immediately afterwards. Hashtag swag. Smooth. Yeah, It was hashtag smooth. Yeah. And then backtracks when they see that social media doesn't agree with them. And then has Julian Morris doing everything but basically dry humping Chris Brown on any I'm a celebrity get out of here thing. It's that there's, there's an incredible amount of female hypocrisy and double standards that exist yeah. on this matter. Oh, did you see the uh, <laughs> the classic where uh, Mel McLaughlin herself offered yeah. to buy Mark War a drink? <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, but... Um, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of... You could use a lot of examples like that. There, was, there yeah. was a video clip going around of Maria Sharapova who was just openly flirting with male journalists. Yeah. You know, there were a few examples like that. For me, what's more galling, though, is that as I say, I it seems like ninety nine percent of all that social media is good for these days is for moral outrage campaigns. Yeah, yeah. and I just the other thing I just want to say on the record is is that you know the character assassination assassination of Chris Gale over the preceding days was a little bit disappointing and. You know, kudos to... Well, I don't know him from a bar of soap. He may well be all the things that people say, irrespective of that. I actually applaud him for maintaining mm. his position on this matter and not yeah. kind of caving into to the public demand. The fact that he got fined twice as much as Dustin Martin well, did is... This is the other thing so, I was going to say. So just, just a tip for all the single boys out there. It's uh, twice as bad to, to ask a woman to get a drink than it is to threaten her with a chopstick, so... Just keep that in mind when you're when you're out on the prowl. Yeah, but it's it's less convenient to use that in order to um, you know start this grassroots campaign of of outrage and oh what's whatever is to be done about this. Like the the idea that Dustin Martin physically threatened a woman with violence allegedly. I'm not sure who's alleging otherwise because he came out later and admitted that he did it. He said, oh, I was completely out of line. Well, there were no charges, so we have to say allegedly. Anyway. Well, anyway. I'm not going to bother with that. Lawyers, come at me. The the idea that a, a rather unseemly, awkward, but 
ultimately harmless pass at someone who, let's face it, a lot of her position and her current role is due to the fact that she's pretty hot. Mm. And for... I know that sounds terribly sexist, but let me counter that by asking how many ugly females do you know employed in the world of sports journalism? Well, this sounds a bit harsh, well, I know, but stuff. the fact is that for someone in that sort of role, doing on, you know, on her presentations and being the face of the competition... Yeah. Looks are a prerequisite. That it's a it's a simple. Fact. And I mean, look, if if people think that's bad, if if they if they believe that that's the worst thing that they've ever seen, firstly, get a fucking life. Secondly, look up the Joe Namath Susie Colbert clip, which mm. is probably ten times worse than than what that was. Yeah. Um, there was another really good. I you just, talk about players who uh, the, the respect you had for him for sort of standing his ground and saying, "Oh, well, this is this is who I am. I'm a, the guy who will sit in a meeting with the head of the ECB and turn to him and ask him, "Do you get much pussy?" Yeah. So for starters, let's not go down that whole path. I mean, Channel Ten decided, yeah, it's definitely a great idea to throw yeah. some hot uh, female journalist down to the boundary to interview him. Yeah. Nothing could possibly go wrong there. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Look, as I'm sorry, I'm not. Gonna, I mean, it, I, I think it says a lot about his character that he refused to back down. Mm. Now, yeah. whether his whether his character is something that I would potentially mm. want to live up to, or would recommend as being an appropriate role model for somebody else, I'm not getting into that mm. debate. And this is that was the point I was going to make was that um, James Magnuson was interviewed the other day and asked once again about the whole yeah. uh, Steel Knocks uh, the toxic culture, the the pranks and whatever else went on at the Olympics and he said, oh look, if you look at some of the other stuff that's going on um, in the sporting world these days, I really think this wasn't that much of a big deal at all and it was really a storm in a teacup but the problem these days is that with social media something like that is actually more likely to become a big issue than the more serious, you know, real yeah, concerning I, I issues out I think that happens is with stuff like this, same as, like, the Adam Goods thing. Like, it's just yeah. people who know nothing yeah. about sport or nothing about anything, you know. It's an opportunity they for just, them to push like, oh, their own yeah. agenda. Yeah, and they try and get people on their side and go, oh, yeah, I'm supporting this cause because everyone else is. Well, the Adam Goods ones is ridiculous. If he, if oh, he honestly... I people should... If, if he looks uh, deep down into his soul and believes that people boo him because of the colour of his skin, then he's a bigger idiot than I thought he was. But to be honest, Just he's never it. really come out and said that, you know, very well, directly. It's more that everyone else has come out of the woodwork to say that He hasn't exactly... Behalf. Let's just say he oh. hasn't exactly refuted those stances when it's been yeah. posed to him. Yeah, but and he's but in many you're respects, right, mate. It's more about the the third parties who then use yeah. that in order but that's to. It's a good oh, to do it. Good to people just, say it for their own personal gain, so people yeah. think they're cool, or people think they're yeah, that's you know, exactly right, or whatever. But like they, they don't care about the fun, goods. They don't care the, about Mel McLaughlin. The, they care about themselves. It's that's yeah, the only that's reason just, they do it. And the funny thing about that is, is that they're, be, they're becoming they become less and less unique by doing so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm all about me, but hey, my views are reflective of everyone else. Like, really, like, you know, get a backbone, form your own opinion, make a stand for something worth making a stand for. 
some some footballer getting booed at a game. Like seriously, in the grand scheme of issues in the world, who gives a shit? It's so minute. It's so minute. I really just think that social media, it just and I, I, it provides a forum in which the yeah. idiocy of yeah. a lot of yeah. people is just accentuated yeah. and it just I've multiplies made, made on itself. I've made this quote before: is is that Charles Barkley, um, famous commentator, now former basketball player, he says, "I refuse to get on social media because that's where idiots go to make themselves mm. feel relevant." Very mm. true. Um, Absolutely. And I love that statement. But I also love the statement around the the Chris Gar thing. One of my mates actually wrote on social media, which was along the lines of, you know, so let me get this right. Everyone's in an outrage because a man asked a woman for a drink and another, and a tennis player told somebody to sit down and shut up. It's a good thing there aren't any wars or major diseases (laughs) or crimes or things in the world. Exactly right. Comforting to know. Yeah. It's like if. People spent just a millimetre of that energy associated. I know that that's not the terminology, blah, 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 but you'll get the point that I'm making. If, if just a fraction of that energy done to, to champion these causes was put on real causes that affect us all on a day-to-day basis, we would be in a much better mm. place. And to be honest, that does happen occasionally, and that was, I think, originally the idea of what social media was going to be all about, but... I mean, I think... I'll take it one step further than that. For me, the biggest concern is... Um, is corporations and businesses... They view the potential for a social media backlash... As something so abhorrent... So, you know, it will devastate our business. It will bring it to its knees. We will lose trillions of trillions of dollars... All because a bunch of people might start pressing a dislike button on their phone. I I don't get it. I don't get it. It's almost like there's just this fear of, oh, well, we, we can't possibly be seen to yeah. be condoning that, or what? Well, we must come out immediately and take a very heavy-handed stance against that. Yeah, there's two points to that. It's just that it feels like everybody's just waiting to be offended these days. Oh, and yeah. also... I'm offended by that, Chief. Yeah, not even that. They're just looking for things to be offended at. Exactly. You know? it's not a, they could literally have... And, I've and, seen people and, who and literally say one thing one week and then... Something like the Norman Lachlan thing happens, and they'll be all of a sudden completely. And that's what I say. Like like they believed it for their make, whole life. Make a stance and stick with it. Like, yeah, so and, that, and if you if you're wrong, own the fact that you're wrong. But it's also that people. It's it's like we've lost our sense of humour as well. Ricky Gervais said something that I loved that he he tweeted, which is along the lines of, "Just remember when somebody tells you that you crossed the line, it's a line that they arbitrarily drew." <laughs> Yeah, I love true. that quote. It's I love that quote. One. It's like, no, yeah, you're offended because that's where you believe to be, but that's not where I believe to be. So the problem is, though, if it only takes one offended person on social media to create a million offended people yeah. these days. Yeah. But see, both of those ones you're talking about there again, you're talking about the individual level. Mm. My concern is more about you know the way that. Um, the Melbourne Renegades feel the need to come out and, and find Chris Gale $10,000. Or, you know, there's a number of examples about... I can't remember her name. That woman who posted on Twitter, well, I'm heading to Africa. Yeah. Hope I don't get AIDS. Ha, ha, ha. Just kidding. I'm white. Yeah. She lost her job for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, why? Why? If there was even an ounce of common sense applied... 
Yeah. Her bosses and her bosses' bosses and the the company that she worked for would be able to say, someone's made a bit of an awkward joke there. Hasn't quite landed. Oh well. That's the thing. but that's the thing. Is that you need it's, it comes back to leadership as well. There is is that you actually need leaders who are strong who just sit there and go, well, I understand X was it ABC, but no, nothing. We're doing nothing. And I'll give you another good. I mean, example. like Chris, yeah. Gale, not not the, not only did Chris Gale get shut down on national TV, international TV, as it mm. turns out, he got fined ten grand for the privilege. Mm. <laughs> he got shown up as being a bit of a jerk. That too. Is that surely you actually you actually watch that clip beginning to end again, and you actually look at it and you go, "Gee, Chris, really?" It's almost more awkward for him than it Absolutely. is for her. Absolutely, yeah. Particularly with the uh, backing track of um, the Channel Ten commentators audibly laughing, yeah, which you could hear on the original, yeah, yeah when it and that's aired. that's it. Yeah, I agree with that's the thing is, is I actually I actually just watched it and went, "Oh, shut down." Mm. <laughs> And, it's, and that was exactly my thoughts. Just you and your hand tonight, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to pose a question to the floor. If you're a coach and you've won two-thirds of your game, do you think you should be safe in your job? Which sport are we talking? Well, it, whatever, however you want to take it. Just in general. Oh. Well, where's the sport where you don't think that would you would be safe? No, I'm. For me, as a, as a coach, I would say, well, what what discussions were had with the board before the season started? What expectations were there? What benchmarks did we have? What how did we frame a successful season? Um, yeah, and I'd go based okay. on that. <laughs> if your team's thirty and eleven, and you're leading your conference. Would you think that your job is safe? You would hope so, yeah. Yeah, nah. If you're David Black, nah, you're fired. Do- Donald Trump wants his royalty yeah, for that, by but, the way. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Donald Trump some <laughs> other time. I, it will involve me laughing for about two and a half minutes. Um, yeah, no, David Black was fired as the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers by general manager LeBron James, or at least that's who I believe the general manager is. Um, I didn't get that Because memo. basically he was seen to have supposedly lost the locker room. Now, this guy's been in the job probably no more than 18 months. They got to the NBA Finals last year and nearly pulled it off, despite the fact that they were without two of their three best players for the entire series. Smoke and mirrors and a little bit of Matthew Delvedova nearly got them over the line. Start the season this year, thirty and eleven, top of their conference. No, not good enough. Not good enough, Bill. Yeah, it's it's posed a lot of questions and look, it 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 sort of ties back to I think a broader issue these days, and that is contracts, coaching contracts. You know, to say they're not worth the paper they're written on doesn't even begin to cover it. Mm. I mean, what is the actual point of these things? When nine, 99 well, times out of 100, the board can just turn around and sack you later that year if they want to. I mean, I'd love to actually know from a legal perspective, 
how these contracts actually work. They get paid out. The funny, the funny story about it is, is, is that the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think they're paying, they're currently paying for four coaches. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's it's it's something like twenty million a year that they're paying in coaches <laughs> because of yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is it just seems like all the time, in, and it's not just coaches too. You'll see um, star players sign ridiculously long um, contracts with a particular team. So I think um, Mike Stanton is one who is it was Chad it Carlo was Stanton it? now, but yes, he was formerly known <laughs> yes. as Mike Stanton, the artist formerly known as Mike. Yeah. Um, you know, they signed these ridiculously long-term contracts. I think it was his 10 it's, years yes. from memory. I yeah, think it was 10. It, and yeah. I remember you emailed me a few days after it going, I'll bet you that within two years he'll be playing for the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, I think I said either the yeah. Yankees or the Red Sox. Yeah. But yeah. But so or maybe the Dodgers. But, yeah. So much of... This whole oh well, he's locked down a three year contract and on yet we've you know we've got him to sign on the dotted line for another year and that it all just it all just counts for for naught. Mm. It seems yeah. like the club or the player or whoever can just turn around and wave all that in the blink of an eye if and when it suits them. So oh well, but as long as their uh, legal teams are keeping up their billable hours. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's it's probably worth uh, it's, it's probably a good segue to to the Cam McCarthy situation, which everybody knew was going to end up pretty much how it has here, except for it seems GWS. Yeah. And I would like to thank the GWS troll for invading the Black Potter account and getting put in their place accordingly. Oh yeah, um, we welcome um, idiots to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> To post their inferior yeah. arguments, <laughs> that's and we right. get the pleasure of it, shutting them down. Yeah, what what kind of message is it is it sending by trading him back? To which I, to which the reply along the lines of, "Well, what message were you sending when you got rid of Boyd, Tyson, Adams?" Uh, and I, I, I was disappointed. I'd forgotten so many. There's been so many. Yeah, there are too many. To count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it sends a message that we're actually. Rational when it comes to trading players. That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, that's a dangerous Und- precedent yeah. sitting there. Und- understanding that perhaps it's in the best interest of both club and player to make a deal here. Yeah. I don't think that that's necessarily a stupid thing, but... I mean, if... Uh, there was a quote, I think it was from the Coca-Cola president, which is, what do you do if a competitor is drowning? You stick a hose down their throat and finish the job. Mm. <laughs> if another rival club is willing to come to you and give you first round picks for the next two years for a guy who more than likely won't be in your starting lineup every game this season and it, why wouldn't you take that that's exactly right is that it's poor business from that perspective and it's that the other thing is is that everybody related to GWS talks him out like he's a superstar he's played probably half he got dropped at the end of the year mm. he played probably half a season that was decent there's no no one knows what's going to happen with this kid. Mm. I, I think he's a second forward. I don't even think he'll ever be a, a prime forward mover myself. Yeah. I just think he's it's just a little bit too small for that. And I don't see him like bulking up to the required level as well. It's, yeah, like, two first-round picks? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, awesome. Uh, you you serious? <laughs> yeah. I'll take him and run. Thanks mm. for coming. It. It, it, it was weird because in the past they'd made... That's the thing is that oh, it's difficult to get your head around. In the past they've been incredibly rational about these things. Mm. They've made decisions 
that have benefited both the player and their club. Yeah. Tom Boy. That was a win-win for them. Yeah. Uh, um, Trelaw. Trelaw. Adams. Yep. There's plenty. Mm. Don Tyson. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not just the expansion club element, but it's also the, I guess, the the interstate element as well for a lot of these guys is that they're young men who are probably um, being taken away from their home and their families and everything else for the first time in their lives. I mean, is it in your best interest to keep them around if they're clearly unhappy and and want to go yeah, back home? well, I mean, what happens is what's going to happen now is just that they're probably going to be a player short for the entire year. Yeah. So, well, I mean... I want no sympathy for them. You play Fremantle, you, thank you, but yeah, you, yeah, that's right, and you'll enjoy that third round pick you get for him at the end of the year. Yeah, you played hardball and you lost, so now I guess that's know. kind of the problem though now with this whole free agency thing is that actual the meritocracy of players and their value it it doesn't exist anymore. You know, you've got blokes like Tom Scully becoming one of the top five. Um, earning players in the league you've got these guys who apparently are both too shit to warrant a spot on your list for next season but are also arguably one of the greatest players the game has ever seen so we should be getting you know a few first round draft picks for them it's all just so sort of muddled and convoluted and you know you're sending mixed messages to, to different stakeholders based on what you think you can get out of it it doesn't seem like it seems like there's not not as much um, importance placed on well, how good are they actually? Mm. Ergo, <laughs> well, how I much mean, should we be willing to pay for them? I remember having a long talk with uh, a a person we both know well, who is a former accountant at the at the business we worked at, and his his comments on this. He said, you know, professional sport, in particular AFL football. It's the only it's the only job you can have where you get paid on your potential rather than your performance. Yeah. And I think that yeah, yeah. yeah the IPL is the other one I'd I'd throw into that mix. Mm. Um, yes. But yes, it is interesting. So I know we sort of touched on the whole moral outrage and everything else issue before. The other one I wanted to bring up in that regard was um, Mitchell Pierce. Yeah, jeez. The Ahmed Saad. (laughs) Look, I'm. It's difficult to sit here and defend this guy because clearly he's again he's he's been a bit of a deal. But I mean, yeah, he he had about fifty. He's about twenty snags short of a Barbie. But he had too much to drink at a private residence made a slightly inappropriate advance towards a woman and then, yeah, he was so shit-faced that he pissed himself. He was then asked to leave and he left. Certainly not his finest hour, you'd have to say, but, I mean, Jesus Christ, if every young male in Australia who had ever done that then lost their job, we'd have an unemployment rate in the 30s or 40s right now. I mean, and sure. And in the 80s it, in that particular uh, age demographic. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, it wasn't a good look. He was a bit of a deal. But he was young. He was full of grog. And who was actually 
offended by this. And then the RSPCA coming, oh, saying he performed a lewd sex act with a dog. Have you actually watched the video? Yeah. He kind of, from what I've heard, he kind of dry humps it for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, did. I have watched what, the video. I mean, my God. And I, I, I must admit, was one, I think you summed up my stance on that video completely. The boy got stitched up. And it, it comes back to, you know, I, I joked a little bit about the swan cloak situation. It's exactly the same for them. You know who the scourge are in these situations? The it's dicks the people, who sell it to the media. Yeah, absolutely. The people that go around peddling it, trying to make a quick buck. And or by association the media who are willing to fall all over themselves and yeah. pay ridiculous sums of money it's in order to the get same, these materials. The same with the knob who who went after Alastair Clarkson. It's the same type of thing. It's like, seriously. Yeah. Anything for a quick buck. Like, oh. I mean, I, but I just, I really feel for the guy. I mean, yeah, he should cop yeah. his leaks. He'll probably, yeah. you know, get a s- suspension or, or something like that. There'll be some sort of reprimand. But these people coming out and hysterically demanding that he be sacked. I mean, let's get some perspective here, shall we? He hasn't actually... He's done it in a private residence with no one else around and he's then been asked to leave and he's left. Yeah. I feel, yeah. I, yeah, look, he, as you said, he's behaved like an idiot. I hope he gets the counselling he deserves. It's, it's you have that, and then you have the the Johnny Manziel situation where there's a, a con- I mean Pierce has done similar things before, but not to the level of Manziel. Manziel's in a very similar predicament. The difference is is that Manziel's not as good a player as Mitchell Pierce is in his particular sport, mm. so he's going to kind of get turfed to the side now. But the convenient scapegoat. Yeah, um, I yeah I I feel. Yeah, look, I, as I said, I hope he gets the help that he clearly needs because he does oh. have an... He, he seems to have an issue with significant amounts of alcohol. Mm. I hope he has the common sense to, to seek out that assistance. But apart from that, yeah, look, I I, I feel sorry for them. It's that you're... Is it you're people, people not viewing you as a person, they're viewing you as a cash cow, as an opportunity for them to, to, to spin a story and make a quick buck. There's also just there's no privacy anyone? anymore. How there's, could you trust anyone? Nothing happens outside of the like the public spectrum anymore. There's players don't have private lives at all. Their so-called private lives are just one thirty thousand dollar payment from New Idea away from being plastered all over newspapers and magazines across mm. the country. And that's the thing is that I know a lot of people like to complain about what athletes and that make. How can you put a price on your privacy? Mm. And if you if you're gonna com- if you're gonna complain about that money, just think about that before you do it. Is is that you know we, we we might you know we might be lucky enough to earn a tenth of what these guys do year to year in in the things that we do. But you know we could do things like not that we do, but we could do things like Mitchell Pierce did, and nobody would give a oh, shit. I mean, yeah, I'm- I'm more than happy to go on the record and say that I've gotten shit-faced at parties before and had some awkward moments that I have not been proud of at all the following day. But the idea that, that you know, my own personal life somehow, well, not only impacts, but could lead to me losing yeah. my profession, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it's tough. I, I really feel, as I said, I really feel for 
for um, for him in some respects. Yeah. Mm. Um, look, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not condoning the behaviour, but I'm just saying that it's 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 very easy, as you say, no privacy. People looking to exploit you and exploit the situation, um, telling stories, making money off of making money off of your misery. I mean, shit. If that's the only way you can make a dollar, mm. you know, just leave. Just just do us all a favour and put put us out of mm. put us out of your misery. Get mm. the hell out of here. So you speak about yeah, hopefully him being able to make some changes. We'll segue from that to a far more positive story. I honestly thought Ben Cousins might have been six feet under by now. Mm. Given the issues that he had faced and the way in which, again, it all played out in the, the public eye, I thought there was a very real chance he would, you know, do, a, do an Amy Winehouse and, and, yeah. and those, all those other celebrities. There are, there are a few guys from that particular time period. I mean, Michael Gardner was another one who I thought would probably for a very similar fate but mm. he seems to have well and truly cleaned himself up too yeah um, but yeah so and we'll, I believe that Michael Gardner has actually played a bit of a role in helping Ben well there we go yeah know. because that's what I was going to say I mean he I will say as a red blooded heterosexual male he looks fantastic <laughs> I've seen pictures of him he went in and did a like a thing with Natanui at West Coast he also made a, an appearance at Richmond um and he just looks great. He, I, he looks so fit and healthy and happy. And it's I'm just genuinely really happy that it seems like he's been able to put those demons I'll behind make, him. Yeah, I'll make a bit of a segue here. I think I mentioned this to you as well. Is that um, I have an older cousin who's a bit of a fitness freak. Mm. Uh, and he does uh, Jacob's Ladder every morning before mm. he goes to uh, his work, which just happens to be in the city. Uh and uh, he said that uh, he's uh, seen Ben up there quite regularly mm. and actually he's had chats and that with him and he, he's actually said that he seems to be in a very good headspace yeah. as well, which is great. I think that the... Ben, and, you know, I think Ben's talked about this a lot as well and I know people who know Ben who have gone to school with Ben and know him quite well too. Um, ben had a very addictive personality. Yeah, I was just going to say. He used to channel it into his training, and then he would channel it into drugs as his reward. I'd like to think that he's uh, back into doing the first. Yeah, putting all his efforts and that into uh, into training. Um, yeah. Look, I've, I've never seen a bloke work harder on a football field than than Ben. Mm. And, you know, Ben, it used to be 15 minutes into the last quarter, Ben would be running just as hard as he was in the first five minutes. I mean, he'd often come off the ground, you know, go to the bench, and he would throw yeah, up because yeah, he was so just physically and it spent. And it is the the stuff that's happened with him is is really sad as a as an as an Eagles member for so long and as a supporter for so long, because he would have argued he would have probably been uh, considered our greatest player otherwise. Yeah, it's now much like the Joe Watson situation: greatest player asterisk. Mm. <laughs> you know. I mean, I always thought when he and Judd were both at their peak at West Coast that Cousins was a slightly better player purely because it seemed like he was able to lift the rest of the team around him. Cousins was untaggable. Mm. Is that the way there are... And there aren't too many people you can say that about. 
is that he would just work and work and work and he would work his tag over. They used to say Robert as, Harvey did the same sort yeah, of thing. As great as Judd was, you could you could actually neutralise his influence mm. in games. Um, and yeah, I mean that was it. It's mm. the, it was a treat. You know, not just the Judd and Cousins here in the mid two thousands, but Daniel Kerr as well. Mm. It's like. Yeah, you can't tag them all. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that that was the thing that people went, well, we'll tag Judd. And, um, you know, we'll... Because we'll, we, we know we can't tag Cousins. And, I mean, that mm. was in the early 2000s. The Eagles, when the Eagles were absolutely terrible, um, Cousins was having two, three guys running, you know, basically around him because, mm. well, hey, there wasn't anybody else who was any good. Yeah. He'd still get his 30 possessions every game. I mean, and yeah. I, you know, he was. Even though there were all these issues off the field at the time, he was he was one person. You know, there are a few players out there who you were like, that person's just there for the paycheck. You mm-hmm. could tell that their heart wasn't in it. That certainly wasn't the case with Cousins during yeah. that time. He was even if he didn't like the coach, he was still working his ass off. And just for the record, uh, really sad. Yeah, the Ken Judge well. situation. Yeah. Um, his, his record at the Eagles will not be reflective of the type of coach that he actually was. I believe that, you know, some of the success that Worsfold had after he'd left is, could, could well and truly be attributed to Judge because Judge kind of inherited a list that was pretty much over the hill at the Malthouse stage, helped clean it out, was responsible for drafting some of the kids that turned out to be pivotal in their in their premiership thing and gave them a bit of steel that they needed mm. and it was uh, the other unfortunate thing about the judge situation was he alluded the club to the to the off field issues that were happened and the club just decided no it's much easier to get rid of you than it is to fix the problem mm. so he he well and truly had a chip on his shoulder as a commentator yeah. with regards to the Eagles but in the context of what had happened to him I think that that was well and truly understandable Yeah, and I think that yeah he's his influence and Jod Todd's influence in particular, when people look back on the history of the Eagles, will be well and truly kind of glossed over mm. because they never won a premiership and they weren't necessarily successful, but they well and truly helped form the foundations of premiership squads. Yeah. And I've got to say, as a commentator, I always, and I'm speaking as a Hawthorne fan, yeah. I always found him far too biased um, towards Hawthorne. Um, and it seemed like he would always sort of bring everything back back to Hawthorne. That was the can only I, way he sort of knew how to call. Can I be honest, with all due respect, when a team's won three premierships in a row and has the uh, not just the players that they have, but the, the ability to manipulate and change their systems and structures in a game-to-game, even in a quarter-to-quarter basis, and it, as such a well-drilled and well-coached team, there's no disputing that. I have no qualms with people comparing things to Hawthorne because, to be honest, if you're not looking at... You, you don't want to replicate what Hawthorne do because you can't do it, but if you're not looking at what Hawthorne are doing and trying to learn and understand from that, you're going to fall well and truly off the pace. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough, but I know there were games, you know, even a few years back, um, I think it was actually a game I attended with, with your dad, um, Hawthorne versus West Coast at Subi Oval, Mm. Um, the bloke next to us at one stage 
just sort of said, oh, I just can't listen to Ken Judge commentate this game. Like, yeah. he seemed, it was almost borderline sort of cheering for them a lot of the time. And that was, you know, as I say, well well and truly before they were this powerhouse of the last three years. So it's a bit of a bugbear of mine about neutral common commentary. So he didn't sort of tick yeah. that box. But he seemed like when he talked about the game, you could tell yes, he knew yeah. what he was talking about. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing that, that I think is understated is that he, um, he really knew the game quite well. I, I actually, through... through Connections, which are a little bit weird. My uh, my old man used to work with his brother, so I've, I'd actually met him a couple of times and had the chance briefly to talk football with him. And he was, yeah, he he really knew his like he seriously knew his stuff. I mean, to be a coach, you have to. But the way that he talked about things, that he just brought a, a whole new way of thinking to the game. Just for me, as someone who's been watching it for thirty plus years now. Yeah. to sit there and acknowledge and appreciate some of the things and yeah if you could get past all of the the vitriol and the all of those other the things bitterness, and yeah. just acknowledge the things that he's he was actually saying from a pure footballing context you you weren't a hell of a lot yeah you did um, so yeah that was very sad news that one and mark mark duffield wrote an excellent um tribute article to him you did have to say that it was excellent you just say Mark Duffield right yeah Mark Duffield wrote an article enough said yeah but that was yeah one of the best pieces even from his already (laughs) lofty standards that was one of the best pieces of his that I've ever read yeah so that was yeah certainly an unfortunate uh, situation 